we're taking a pause in our in our walk through First um, Peter, and uh, this month is actually going to be a little different, even because of next week not having a gathering, and then the week after we will be celebrating some baptisms. Uh, we're excited about that, and the week after that is our retreat. So we're kind of uh, going into a variable uh, season for the next few weeks uh, in terms of teaching, and we're so excited to have a guest with us today. Uh, her name is, is Patty Miller, and uh, she comes from Evangel Pentecostal Church, downtown Montreal. If you're not familiar with Evangel, Evangel's uh, been around for about 100 years about 100 years. Patty, I said last week that you're not 100, but Patty is, uh, but uh, Evangel's uh, over 100 years. And it's been amazing uh, just to see, uh, you know, God's work through that church uh, right in the downtown core. And I've gotten the chance to, um, uh, you know, be, be friends with and colleagues with at least the last three pastors. And uh, just been so great to, to kind of be connected with that church. Some of you might remember this ministry we were, we were part of years ago called Gathering Cafe. They hosted it in their lighthouse house uh, facility on St. Catherine Street for five years, and we ran that monthly right in that, in that location. So uh, just, I just love to see uh, what they're doing and what they're all about. And Patty's been there for a couple of years now, and so we just want to welcome her today. Will you guys welcome her as she comes up uh, to speak? <laughs> Patty, thank you for being here, and can I pray for yes. you and for Evangel as well? Yes. Awesome. God, we're so grateful that we are not in this city as your church alone. Uh, in fact, uh, there is just uh, such a great group of churches across our city, both in English and French, um, and even in other uh, languages, God, that we get to be a part of together partnering in the gospel to advance your kingdom here. And uh, we're so grateful for Evangel and their history, their presence in the city, uh, their unique heart for you, God. Um, we're grateful for Patty and how she gets to be with us today and uh, share out of the scriptures with us, God. We would just pray that you bless her, uh, use her in a beautiful way um, to speak to us, God, and use her as well in her church. We pray for all the staff and uh, every ministry team, God, and we just pray for the continued impact of that church in such a beautiful spot in, on our island. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to just move it around. Thanks. I appreciate you um, clarifying that I'm not 100 years old. I had, our church is actually 102 now, and somebody asked me recently if I was the founding pastor, and I didn't really know how to answer that. I said, um, it's 102. Do I, do I look 102? <laughs> so anyway, yeah, so it's a, it's a great church. My husband and I have been there about two and a half years, and um, we're really loving being there and it's great to be here today so thanks for the invitation really really appreciate it and uh, Jeff is apologizing that he couldn't be here but actually it's it's my fault that he's not here because I forgot to tell him the date in enough time and he was scheduled to play drums today at Evangel and uh, people would have been upset if I took him away so he's playing drums at Evangel and and I'm here so Thanks for letting me be here. It's good. Um, Dave, you said that I could speak about anything I wanted to. And uh, so I wanted to talk today about the church and just loving everything that's happening here and, and uh, all the stories you guys are having of moving into a new place and growing and all of that. And I really value very much 
um, all of the different churches in the city and in, in Montreal. And I, I just think that, uh, you know, e- each church has its own calling, its own, its own thing that it does, or its own focus and its own style and all that. Every church is different. And, uh, and I just think that that's, that's God's plan, that God has us all like little puzzle pieces, right? And when we all fit together and we all do what we're supposed to do in the space that we're supposed to and, and do it the way he's called us to, it all fits together into this amazing picture of the overall thing that God's doing in the city. And I just, I just love that you're part of that and we're part of that and other churches are part of that. And it's really awesome. So I want to talk a little bit about the church and just in general, and we'll look in Matthew. We're going to bounce around to some different scriptures and thank you to Beth for following me and throwing them up on the screen when that happens. But I just want to start off by saying like the church, you know, it was God's idea. And the church matters. This church matters. My church matters. And all, all of the churches that are part of Montreal, they really matter. And some people talk about, when you, when you talk about the church, there's people that will say, well, I really love God not the church so much, right? I don't know if you've ever met somebody like that. There's usually a reason for it. Sometimes it's a really valid reason and we got to own that. But some people go further and they go, well, you know, the church, Jesus never meant there to be a church. It's, it's an institution and it's humanity trying to organize spirituality and trying to uh, create something that God never intended and make it all bureaucratic and Jesus never intended it. And I don't think that's true. The, the church was God's idea. It was Jesus' idea. He's, he's the first one that mentioned it. And, and it's gone wrong sometimes, and every church has its flaws, except this one, I'm sure, which is totally perfect. And why, why are you laughing? And, uh, you know, churches change throughout time and with different cultures and all of that. But, but in general, the idea of the church, Jesus had this assumption, and he had this expectation, and he just, he just functioned from that base, that, um, that our faith would not be just an individual one. That it wasn't just, you know, me and God me and Jesus and the rest of the world is all shut out but it's this it's this we belong to a community of faith he he functioned kind of from that that there would be this recognizable community of God there would be a, a recognizable togetherness of people that come together in a church as a church together and that that's how the world sees Jesus and they're part of the kingdom of God and we're followers of Jesus walking it out together so so the church really matters okay it was, it was Jesus' idea in the first place. So in Matthew chapter 16, it says in verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. And then verse 18, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So you see, it's Jesus' idea. And I love this phrase that Jesus says of, I will build my church. It's just, it's so confident and it's so, it's so powerful and such this, this just very assured statement of, I got this, right? Of Jesus talking about his church going, I will build it. I'm so grateful it's not dependent on me. And it's not dependent on you. And we're all part of it. But God is the one who builds his church. God is the one who has made sure that it has survived all this time. And he's going to continue to do that. He's got this. And so that, that's good. But I kind of wonder sometimes when I read this story, what the disciples, what Peter especially thought 
when Jesus makes the statement, I will build my church. Because the conversation goes, Jesus goes, you know, who do you think I am? And Peter goes, you're the Messiah. And it's this, it's this great moment, and that's huge. And Peter knows that it's huge to say that Jesus is the Messiah. He knows, you know, it's part of Jewish faith, and it's, it's just this huge, huge statement. They've all been waiting for the Messiah for hundreds of years. So when he says you are the Messiah, that's big. And he knows it's big, and he knows what he's saying. And, and Peter knows what he's just said. And then, but then Jesus turns to him and goes, yes. And Peter, he goes, you, you're Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And you can imagine Peter going, whoa. I mean, Wow, Jesus, like I'm so humbled and so honored. I mean, usually when people talk about my name meaning rock, they mean blockhead, but but you seem to mean it as a compliment, and that's that's super cool, but I don't even know what to say, Jesus. I mean, on this rock, you're going to build your church. What's a church? <laughs> right? What's a church? Because they had never seen that before. And what's it supposed to look like? What's it supposed to feel like? Um, how's it supposed to work exactly? How's a church supposed to work? And so Jesus spends time in the next several chapters in Matthew talking about that and talking about what a church looks like and how it functions. So I just want to pull some things out of there. So one of the things, number one, if you're you know a person that takes notes, or you, maybe just hold up a finger and that way I know you're with me. Number one, one, one. This section doesn't do that, but these other ones, you guys do, right? So number one, the church is a Counter-cultural community is really huge because we talk about the church being community, but you can get community in, in your local running club. You can get it in a whatever, any kind of a group that gathers together. And this is not just a community, it's a counter-cultural community. And then it's not countercultural in a we're over here and the rest of the world is all bad and it's us against the world fighting them. That's not the kind of it's a our community works differently all the way through. We're, we're countercultural. We're different from the culture that we exist in. It's a community and it's different. It's countercultural and it has different principles than other communities. For example, if you talk about how the church is supposed to handle power. Okay, not God's power, power within the church. Who's got the power? So the disciples, they ask this question of Jesus, right? They go, hey, Jesus, listen, uh, who's got the power in this kingdom that you're setting up, in this, this church thing that you're setting up? Who's the greatest? Who's the one that gets the most influence? Who are the people that are the most important in this kind of thing? Any community that you're ever part of, there will be some jockeying for position. Some people get more respect. Some are more influential than others. And sometimes it's the ones with the titles and sometimes it's not. And there's always a question in any long-term community of people. There's always a question of who's got the power and the influence and how do I get in on that? Right? That's always the question in any kind of community. And so Jesus anticipates that. And he says in Matthew chapter 18, it says, Jesus called a child over and he had the child stand near him. And then he said, and there's a bunch of other stuff. If you are as humble as this child, you are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, we've all heard that story a bunch of times. He pulls over this kid. Oh, it's so sweet, little cute little child, you know. If you are as humble as this child, you are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And, and they try to get some clarification on that later on. They're like, oh, that's nice. 
good, little Johnny, there you go, now you're done now, all of this, and, but they're like, well, I mean, obviously, Jesus doesn't mean that, right, it's a nice little opener, but obviously, they, so they're, yeah, Jesus is great, so we're gonna be like a child, we're gonna have some humility, it's super sweet, that's nice, but like, who gets the throne near you in your new kingdom? So I know, you know, be like a child, but who actually, how do we become your right hand dude? How do we become the most important? How do I get in on having some influence and making some decisions and really being the one with power? I mean, really, Jesus, who's got the power in this community thing you're calling the church? So Matthew 20, Jesus got them together to settle things down. And he said, You've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around and how quickly a little power goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way. Okay, just before that disappears, can you just say that? Do you guys talk out loud here ever? Can you do that? Okay, can you just read that last sentence with me? It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not be served, and then to give away his life. Okay? Really straightforward. And the disciples, they're like, good. Got it? We think we've got it right. Okay, sure. Got this, Jesus. We'll pull a little. Serve the others. Got that. That's number one on the list. But once we've done that for a bit, right? Once we've served for a little bit and we've paid our dues then, and Jesus goes, no. And they go, what? But okay, but if we've been here the longest or we've given the most in the offering and we've kind of done that kind of a thing, then we get a bigger say, right? Mm-mm. What? But Jesus, but what if, and he just goes, well, but Jesus, that's not, I don't think you understand. That's not how it usually works. That's not, that's not fair. That's not how things, you know, we, we need to be fair. And that is not fair the way you're doing things. And Jesus says, yeah, I know. Isn't that great? Isn't it awesome? And he says in Matthew 20, verse 16, he goes, you know, it's the great reversal in the message version. Many of the first end up last, and the last end up first. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> it's a different kind of community. It's a different countercultural. It's completely counter to what feels normal. The church is, and listen, we've all heard it, but it's so hard to absorb. The church is a mutually submissive, serving one another kind of group. That's what the church is supposed to be. Mutually submissive, serving one another, group of people, living in relationship together as we walk out our faith. And if we have power, power is for the purpose of serving. End of sentence. That's it. The church is a counter-cultural community. And it matters. It's, it's counter-cultural even in, in how it handles conflict. Now, again not your church. You guys never have any conflict, I'm sure, ever. So just allow me, indulge me, because I'm talking about all the other churches, okay? But every now and then, sometimes in church communities, people rub each other the wrong way. 
we step on each other's toes a little bit. We're all a little bit different. We think, you know, the coffee should be weak or the coffee should be strong or we should have cream or we should have milk in it or sugar or whatever. And we argue over which version of scripture to use and I, I like this song and I like that song and what should be the dress code and all of that kind of thing. And Jesus knew that and he, and he totally anticipated it. So he anticipates this conflict. He says in Matthew chapter 18, if one of my followers sins against you, go and point out what was wrong. But, if, but do it in private, just between the two of you. And if that person listens, you've won back a follower. But if that one refuses to listen, take along one or two others. The scriptures teach that every complaint must be proven true by two or more witnesses. And if the follower refuses to listen to them, just come up on the stage and report the matter to the church. Verse 21, Peter came up to the Lord and asked, Well, how many times should I forgive someone who does something wrong to me? Is seven times enough? Because that's pretty awesome, really. And Jesus answered, not just seven times, but 77 times. Now, here's what I want you to notice, okay? Just take a deep sigh of relief. It's okay that there's conflict sometimes in the church, okay? You've all stopped breathing entirely. But Jesus anticipated it. He knew it would happen. It happens sometimes. We get on each other's nerves. Not me. I'm delightful. But some of you, you get on each other's nerves a little bit. And he assumed that there would be moments where we drive each other a little bit crazy. And he assumed that there would be moments when we would offend each other. And so he just takes the pressure off. Now, there are people that think that the goal of the church should be to never have any disagreement ever. That everything should be fine, fine, it's just fine, praise the Lord, all the time. And that that should be the goal of the church. And I'm not sure that's realistic. I'm not even sure that's healthy. You know, in any gathering of people, if if there is a, a complete, always eternal, there's never any disagreement of any kind. It's possible that it's signaling that nobody's even really engaged with it and they just don't care enough to kind of express an opinion. Or it might be a sign that there's a little bit of you're a little, there's a little bit of abuse or a little bit of unhealthiness in a situation because you're not allowed to disagree. I heard a pastor say once, not me, but another pastor. I heard them say once that if if in a marriage, if the two of you always agree, one of you isn't necessary. Okay, how many of you are in marriages where you're both necessary? I know I am. <laughs> okay, so people are different. And when we're in community, we're, we're from different backgrounds. We're from different um, places. We're, we have different personalities. We have different worldviews. And we're going to disagree on stuff sometimes. Conflict's going to happen. We're going to step on each other's toes. We're going to offend each other sometimes. And so then the key becomes, what do we do with it? And how do we handle conflict when that happens? And in the church's culture, in this counter-cultural community, there's, Jesus gives us these guidelines, and he gives us some principles of how to handle it, like in the scripture we just read. So he talks about going to your brother if something, you know, if your brother's offended, you go to him, then bring somebody else, then come and tell the whole church. And can I just back up from that slightly and go, before you jump into that, hey, you offended me, Consider how important it really is. 
because I get a little cautious. There's, there's, there's others, sometimes people, and we're, we're really quick to grab onto this. Well, I need to tell someone if they've offended me, I need to let them know. And I need to let them know what they've done wrong because the Bible says so. If my brother offends me, I should go and tell him. And, and I'm pretty sure I get a little bit cautious of that because I'm pretty sure, number one, all of social media is based on that principle, right? Just yelling about what you're outraged about. But, but I just want to point out that that is the first step in a series of steps that potentially involves the whole congregation and involves the whole community and, and potentially involves everybody being involved in this conflict. I think it's worth asking before we take the first step, is this a big enough issue that it's worth bringing to the whole community if I can't resolve it? Do we really want it? Is it really big enough that it has to go that far? And if not, do we actually have to take the first step at all? Because there's other places in scripture where it says, if, if you've done something to your brother, you need to go and make it right. And you need to apologize before we come and, and bring a sacrifice to God. So the idea is conflict's going to happen. And we need to find a way to work it out. Because the goal is reconciliation. We need to be able to, to work that out with the goal of unity and restoration. And if there's something that needs to be talked out, you ready? This is a, it's, a, it's a revolutionary idea. Talk it out. Sit down with each other and do the hard work of facing the conflict, talking it out, saying, hey, can we work this through? Bring a third party if you need to. Bring Dave along. He would be great for that whole thing and ask him to help. But, but do something. Don't just run away and pretend everything's fine because it's not fine. And eventually it's, it's below the surface and it festers and things get worse. So don't just run away. But also don't just, you know, punch somebody in the head and fight so that you can win. And they'll go, there, I dealt with that and solved it. We're supposed to fight to win people back. We're supposed to fight to win them back and to be, to reconcile and to have unity and to have strong relationship together. Because can I just tell you something? There's nothing stronger than a relationship that has gone through some, some tough stuff where two people have been in deep disagreement. And they've actually sat down and they've done the hard work and they've actually managed to work it through to the other side where they are reconciled and they are strong. There's nothing, there's nothing stronger than that. It's amazing. And then the bottom line, of course, when Jesus is talking about how we handle conflict is always forgive. Always forgive. Always forgive. So how many times? Always Okay, always forgive. And then when you've forgiven, forgive again, because God has forgiven us of so much more. <laughs> and if God has done that for us, then, then we got to do that for each other. And it's not the same as trusting somebody again. Trust is something that gets built. It's, you still got to have healthy boundaries. We still got to work all those through, but holding unforgiveness for a follower of Jesus is just not an option. And forgiving and living a lifestyle of forgiveness is one of the most powerful things that we can do. It's just, it's essential to our own well-being and our own, our own spiritual health. So always, always forgive. How many go, well, that's kind of countercultural, right? It's a different kind of community. And it's weird that people think there will never be conflict in a church. Like we're all going to be a bunch of little weird little automatons smiling at each other all the time and looking the same and acting the same and all of that. Relationships are difficult. And being a community is difficult. At Evangel, we have five generations and at last count, 83 ethnicities. 
Okay, the only thing holds, we have nothing in common, all of us together, except Jesus. That's the only thing holding us together. Otherwise, we would just probably blow right apart. But, but you know, Montreal, can I say Montreal, the West Island, doesn't need a, a cult-like weird group of people who are all the same and who never disagree. They don't need to see that. They, they need to see that followers of Jesus can be different from each other and can give grace for it. They need to see that followers of Jesus can honor each other and serve each other even when they don't agree with each other. And they, they need to see that we can have difficult moments and we can work it through with honesty and compassion and humility and forgiveness and then come out stronger on the other side because we did the hard work of working it through. Does that make sense? We're a counter-cultural community and we have to show them that because they need to know that they can come too and that there's room for their mess and there's room for them to disagree. They don't have to just conform to everything and be this weird little automaton. The church matters, okay? That was all number one. Ready? Number two, hold up two fingers. Number two, thank you. Way to, way to join the party. Number two, the church brings good to the community that it's in. It does. There is a myth out there that the church takes away from the community. You will hear people say, oh, the church, they don't pay property taxes, and they get you know, tax breaks when they do charitable giving, and all they do is take an offering, and they just serve themselves. And, they're, and I, can I just tell you as a pastor, man, you see much of that on social media, and it can really mess with your head, because we didn't actually decide to become a pastor in order to just suck stuff out of the community and be self-serving and selfish and be useless to the community. And so when people say that, it can start to mess with your head. But I'm here to tell you, it's a myth. It's not true. The church brings good to the community that it's in. And it brings more than just spiritual good, by the way. The church, most churches should and do bring practical good to the community. Here's some of the ways that churches, as a rule, tend to add to the community they're in. You ready? We help strengthen marriages. We help people with addictions. We tend to create space and create safety for people struggling with mental or physical illness. We provide childcare. We offer parenting support. A sense of community reduces loneliness, which also can prevent suicide. We help kids and youth develop youth develop really good leadership skills and become solid citizens and make positive life choices. Um, when we when we're in a building and we we lease a building long term, we're adding to the economic good of the community. Any of you that are going out for lunch after are spending money in the community and you're bringing economic good for that kind of thing. Um, they often make their space available for the community to use at, for free or at a minimal cost. And churches provide all kinds of volunteer help to their community and the list goes on. And we do that for less money than the government does. <laughs> we bring good to a community. Churches matter. Churches are good for a community. Your church is good for this community. There are studies that have been done. They started in the University of Pennsylvania years ago, and now they are, they're being done, and, and recently was done in the Toronto area, and now Evangel is participating in one in Montreal. But it, it's quantifying and measuring the good that churches bring in a community. And by the way, it was started by somebody who thought churches didn't bring good, and they were setting out to prove it, and they proved themselves wrong, okay? Here's, it's called the halo effect, and, and recently there was a similar study done in Canada, so it covered 10 churches in Toronto. You ready? For every dollar that a religious congregation spends on its programs, 
a city gets an estimated $4.77 worth of common good services. That's just flat-out economics. Let me tell you that again, because now you're all going, I didn't hear that. Wait, what did she say? Okay. For every dollar a religious congregation spends on its programs, a city gets an estimated $4.77 worth of common good services. Churches are good for the community. We do good. We are not faceless institutions just collecting money for ourselves and serving ourselves and doing our own thing. We bring a net benefit to the communities that we're in. And if our church is closed, it is an economic loss, not just a spiritual loss for the community. So the church matters. Turn the person beside you and go, this church matters. Go tell them. It's okay. You can talk in church. Okay. Okay. And here's number three. Hold up three fingers. Number three. Okay. The church reveals God. The church reveals God to our world. There's a reason that scripture calls us the body of Christ. The body, the hands, and the feet of Jesus. I mean, just think about it. We, the church, we represent Jesus. We, we represent Jesus to our world. We together are his hands and feet. I don't know if you're aware of this, but people don't actually see Jesus, right? He's not still here. He was here 2000 years ago physically and people saw him walk. That doesn't happen. He's not walking around on earth like he did at the time. They see us. And they see us together in community. And when they see us functioning together as a community is supposed to do, that's how they see Jesus. The church reveals God. The church reveals Jesus. The church matters. And somebody will say to me, because they do every time I say this, they go, well, buddy, that's not actually true. I mean, the church is great and everything. But sometimes people have these miraculous moments where they see Jesus right, and it's got nothing to do with the church. It's separate from the church. Jesus just meets with them through a dream or something, and it's super amazing. I know. I talked uh, recently with a, with a, a man from Ethiopia. He was he had been a Muslim, and he he told me his story once. And he said, "You know, I was I was I was it was the middle of the night. He was in Sudan at the time. It was the middle of the night. He was all by himself. And he heard this audible voice, and it was Jesus, and it changed his life. Had nothing to do with the church. And you know what he did the next day? He went and found a church, and said, "Can somebody here tell me what that voice was that I heard last night?" Can somebody tell me who Jesus is? People see Jesus, and people meet Jesus, and people connect with Jesus through the church. That's, that's how it works. That was God's plan. The church matters. It was God's idea, and it was God's plan all along. And so the last prayer of Jesus, right before he goes to the cross, which to me is just one of the most profound moments in all of scripture. It's just so powerful and it's so huge. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross in John chapter 17 and, the, and he prays the thing that's most on his heart and the thing that matters the most to him. He prays the thing that is just, it's the cry of his heart and this is what his prayer was, part of it. In John chapter 17 verse 20, he says, I'm praying, he's talking to his father, the son talking to the father, God, I'm praying not only for these 12 disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you. That's me. 
Jesus prayed for you and me before he went to the cross. He prayed for Westside Gathering, and he prayed for Evangel, and he prayed for all the other churches, and he said, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I, God, are one. As you're in me, Father, and I'm in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Then he said in verse 22, I've given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I'm in them, you're in me, and look at this. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know you sent me, that people would believe in Jesus because of our community of faith in unity together and that you love them as much as you love me. And I want you to notice the prayer that Jesus prayed. It wasn't for each one. He prayed for them, us, all of us together. Because we, all of us together, you guys, we're the way that the world meets Jesus. We are together. This counter-cultural crazy community where the rules are different and where power is different and conflict is handled differently and where we bring good to a community and we just we just love free and we reveal Jesus your church matters my church matters all the other churches in Montreal they matter because we're here for a purpose we're here because it was God's idea and it was God's plan right from the start and, and our purpose is not just to huddle together every Sunday morning, you know, just to get enough strength to survive another week and huddle together until Jesus comes. <laughs> this church is, is in the West Island. My church is in downtown Montreal because God put us there. And he put us there as a community to model a counter-cultural community of faith that will show the world who Jesus is. Isn't that cool? Turn the person beside you and go, this church matters. Go ahead, tell them. Right out loud. This church matters. Now turn the one on the other side and go, this church brings good to the West Island. Tell each other. Maybe you should high five a little bit. We are, we are awesome. Okay. Can we pray? Bow your heads. God. We're just so grateful because sometimes we, we get caught up in our own thing and our own individual faith and we just go, you know, I, I got to figure it all out. And we forget how powerful and how amazing the church is. We forget, God, who you've called us to be. And we need to be reminded every now and again of how huge it is, this thing that you created called the church. And you said, I will build my church. And then you've welcomed every one of us to be part of that. So we stop at this moment and say, thank you. Thank you for making us part of your plan. Thank you, God, that in, in your, your overall plan, your, your profound uh, plan for the mystery that you had planned all along was to show yourself to the world through us together. And we get to be part of that. So God, as we just, you know, come near the end of this gathering today, we're asking that you would help us to do that well. 
Help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Help us to be a church, God, here and and in all the churches. Lord, help us to be churches that carry Jesus to our world and that demonstrate God to our world so that people can meet you. Make us that kind of church. I pray that you would help us to do that with grace and with joy. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.